Okay, we're going to get started in just uh, a minute, one minute, counting down. But real quick, we um, have a couple of Tammy's books to give away as uh, prizes. So, Misty, you want to grab those for me on the floor? Um, so I was trying to figure out how to do this to make it interesting. So the first thing we're going to do is the person or couple who drove or traveled the farthest to come to the conference today. Anybody, well, let's do this. Anybody out of state? Where are you from? West Virginia? Anybody farther than West Virginia? Maui? Alaska? No? Okay. So this is a copy of um, Tammy's Daily Devotional. Yeah, give it. And the second one, I was trying to figure out what else could we do, because, you know, I could thought, well, I'd pick a number, but you'd all be yelling numbers. And so what I did was I looked to see who the first person who registered online was, who was here. So that would be Joe and Tony Sullivan. Are you here? Yeah. So there's a copy of uh, Tammy's devotional. Very good. All right, we're going to get started now. You ready, Tammy? Or are you? So, so isn't she great? Wonderful. God's masterpiece. All right, let me just pray real quick, and we'll. She's doing something. So, so Father God, we thank you. Just we thank you for this day. It's a beautiful day, Lord. And I just pray that the sun and the light would shine in each person's heart today. I pray that the words and the truth and the scripture that Tammy's given us and spoken would just root in our hearts and our minds. And I pray too, Lord, that you would connect our hearts and our minds together. Because I think that's a lot of times where our breakdown is. So connect our hearts and our minds. And I pray too, Lord, that you would just meet each person here right where they're at and give them the ammunition, give them the truths to just to, to continue to press on and press in every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Oh, I love being Welcome with her. you all. I love it. I love it. So um, I just wanted to thank you, and I want to continue to have the power of God over this time. Lord Jesus, continue what you've done. So here are just some lies, that, just some that I've been able to uh, grab and go through. Um, I didn't pick them. They're just straight up. I'm not man enough. I'll be stuck in my sin for years. I don't deserve grace. I'm not a good employee. I'm an insensitive, selfish person. Okay, you understand your sin makes you selfish. That's what sin is. It's a self-centeredness to the core, right? self-concern to the core. So the answer is, yes, evil, I hear you offering once again that I'm insensitive and selfish. I hear you saying that again to me over and over again. But this is where we say, but my Jesus, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. It, it's where you have to say, I understand, I have a sin nature. This is why Christ had to come and why he died and why his blood covers me now, his blood. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Yes, I hear you saying once again that I'm an insensitive, selfish person and I do sin and I, I despise my sin nature, but Jesus, his blood covers me. Are you with me? This is how that goes. This is how it goes. 
I have missed God's call in my life. If my surroundings are tidy and finished, I'll have peace. Thank you guys so much for doing these. Uh, people use you because you're pretty. I have too many holes to fill a person. I can control my addictions. Oh, precious, and he put a man. Thank you for being that vulnerable. I don't even really know who I am. If they knew how broken I was, they would not love me. I am not good enough. There's nothing wrong, I'm fine. I am not good enough. No one likes you. I do not do enough to be considered a lamb instead of a goat. I'm too selfish with my time. Again, same thing. I don't have a purpose. I'm not good enough. You can't be a good husband. Oh. No matter what I do, it's not good enough. Accusations of when I did wrong, when I did not know what I was doing was wrong. You're always left out. You're a master mess, not a masterpiece. I'm not good enough. I cannot deal with lying. It breaks all relationships. That's right, we can't. Jesus can. We can't. I can't deal with another person walking out of my life. I may have to, and I have had to. Jesus does this work in us. It's not ours to do. So thank you. And there's all of you who shared these. I don't know if we want to put them together in some document that continues to, continues to ground us and remind us from this time. If you want that, let Bill know, and I'll get it together. But thank you. And I pray it would be so cool if we could just take this whole basket of the hellish accusations that evil tries to pummel you with and like burn them all <laughs> or, or you know what I mean put red paint over them all in terms of the blood of Christ covers this thing and I pray this day because you have done the exercise of speaking it out of identifying that it no longer has the power in you that you have a righteous ire rising up within you and that it is the the righteous ire of the Holy Spirit that says no more no more no more so good. Thank you. So we talk about the change in every relationship comes by seeing hope, seeing heart, seeing opposition, and then we're going to go to seeing the person. The person. Seeing the person. Each and every part of the body of Christ is different. Fill it in. That's a good blank to fill in. We need each other, and our differences are made by God for God. Would somebody read out 1 Corinthians 12, 18 for us, please? Yeah. Isn't that good? We have to just keep remembering, again, back to Ephesians 2.10, being God's workmanship, that he made them that way on purpose. They are the part of the body he wants them to be, as you are, as you are. That's part of how you could fight that lie that you've missed God's call in your life, by the way. God is using you right where you are. God has ordained your footsteps. You are powerful. Make sure that you aren't the one defining how power looks. Are you with me? I hope so. Okay, so... Even if we see them as unique, see if you can track with me with this transition, even if we see people as unique and as gifted the way that they are uh, in Christ, we, we still hope they're a certain way. In other words, we have expectations. All of us have expectations. Right now. I mean, we expect the elastic on your pants to work. 
We expect the Sunday paper is going to have a sports section in it. You expect the Buckeye, Buckeyes game is going to be on TV, for goodness sake. You expect, expect your pastor is going to come visit you when you're sick in the hospital. You expect your friend not to talk behind your back. You expect a true friend won't ask you for the $5 back that you borrowed last week. You expect that your neighbor won't let his dog defecate on your perfectly coiffed lawn. You expect that Christians won't swear, smoke, sin. You expect that spouses will always be in a good mood, glad to have married you and ready for whatever you want to do. <laughs> you expect that your girlfriend's going to enjoy the monster truck pull. You expect your children to eat the food you make them. We have all sorts of expectations, don't we? But here is an important truth for us today, and it alone can change your relationship. Here's your next blank. Expectations, folks, set others up for failure, and they set ourselves up to be disappointed. Romans 13.8 is our clue. Would someone else read that out, please? That's awesome. So just a very, I mean, cursory search of the word expectations on the web. Can't, these titles came up. People don't disappoint. Expectations do. Change your marriage by changing your expectations. These are titles. Expectations, a major source of human stress. Here's a quote. Having expectations of others is a dangerous pursuit, one that is almost certainly going to lead to disappointment at best and resentment at worst. How about this quote? See if you can track with this and what you think about it, what your reaction is to it. No one can make you feel hurt or angry. It is your expectation that causes you to generate feelings of hurt and anger. When we have expectations about others, we are projecting our values, goals, and needs onto someone else. Chances are others won't, can't, or don't want to live up to our expectations. When that happens, we are usually disappointed. But it isn't the person who has disappointed us. It is our own expectations that have let us down. That's a secular quote. Sisters and brothers, when we set up expectations for those that we want to be loved by, in the end, if we receive love, what it is, though, is merely another person making our grade. You see? They're hoping to even the score to win your approval. There is no love to be found, only a zero score at best, because with creeping expectations is usually indebtedness. This is deep, but I hope you're tra tracking with me. When we set up expectations within relationships, we essentially set up a legal system that demands performance rather than a grace-rich system that offers grace and results in actual, undemanded, unsolicited, and even unexpected loving action. If I expect you to get a birthday gift for me on my birthday... If you've gotten that gift, then check. You just did what you were supposed to do. How loving does it feel? Does that make sense? 
If I expect you, if the expectation I have is that when you walk in the door, you greet me and you uh, say something nice to me. And you walk in the door and you greet me and say something nice to me. Check, you've just done what you're supposed to. How loved do you think that really makes me feel? If, well, it's your wifely duty to express love to me in this way. You're supposed to. So, so you want someone that's just trying to make the grade to get back to even? Or do you want love? No, good friends are supposed to call each other back within 24 hours. My word. Or they're supposed to text me within a couple hours. Don't forget my text. Good friends do not forget texts. And so if you've got, if you know that about your friend and you get a text, you're like, I just got, I got to, I got to give it back. And then your friend is like, check, you did what you were supposed to. And all the while our expectations are causing us to miss loving engagement. Because a person is, it puts them in debt. Do you see the indebtedness there? I'm serious. Are you tracking with me? I got to know you're tracking with me because I don't want to confuse. If I expect, if you expect that your friend is going to call you and initiate activity with you as much as you initiate activity with him or her, okay, what if your giftedness and the you that you are is the one that's good at initiating and his or her, she's bad at it or he's bad at it? And yet you have that expectation it's going to be mutual. Again. So this person's just barely trying to keep up in their non-giftedness. But if you have no expectation that you get me a birthday present even though we've been friends for 12 years, when you give me a birthday present, I'm like, ah, oh, that feels so good, thank you so much. When the friend who is not expected to initiate as much as you do because you're really good about being forward thinking that way has no expectation that you initiate and then like once every five years you're like, hey, you want to go to a game? This friend's like, yeah, that feels awesome. I feel loved. Rather than you slouch five years. Right? This is rough. This is rough because we are laden with them. I expect you to take out the garbage. You expect me to make the garbage. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> By making the food is what I was going to say, but I didn't want to offend anybody that way. All right? You know what I mean? We just have all these. This is what I expect. And when that's not there, we're like, what's the matter? We're disappointed. But can you begin to see that if you have no expectation, then when somebody does ask you from the heart, how are you? You're like, thank you for that. That feels amazing. I feel very loved by that. When somebody gives you a gift and you have no expectation of it, my goodness, they thought of me. The thoughtfulness alone can be very much a blessing to you. When you don't have the expectation that whoever you've decided in your family is going to be the primary wage earner, when you don't have the expectation that that's her job or his job, when you don't have expectation and they go again to a job they don't like, and they go again to a job they don't like, what does that engender in you? Thank you, that's so loving. I'm so blessed to have you do this for us. 
Thank you for your sacrifice. It's, wow, you're doing it again. And you'll pray for them and you'll see them in ways that are not there. If you've got the expectation, well, that's what you do. We decided that you would do that, so that's what you're doing. I don't know how God's using us with you, but expectations get in the way all the time of us seeing the real heart of a person. No one in this world meets our expectations they're going to. The people in your life owe you nothing. That's a hard pill for people to swallow. But remember, we started the day by looking at Philippians 2 and the picture of our Lord who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he took the very form of a servant. He was found in appearance as a man. Do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is his heart that wants to beat in us and through us. Expectations are an affront to that heart that we see in Philippians 2, yes? So maybe you don't realize you have expectations. So I just want to tell you that God has given us a wonderful clue. If you are constantly disappointed, if you live constantly disappointed, that's a good indication you have expectations all over the place. Usually, we are unaware of our expectations until brought to the forefront at times like today. But a telltale sign if we're living with too high and too many expectations, especially for believers, who have the full joy and contentment of Christ within when we take our soul questions for satiation to him. He says, come to me, all you who are thirsty. I will give to you without cost. That's Isaiah 55. He's not saying, yeah, you come to me because that's what I expect. He's like, no, it's free. Come on. <laughs> you will be satiated and satisfied. This is why he calls himself a spring of living water so very often. A spring is a constant of fresh supply. This is who he is to us. We have that within us, but expectations cause us to forsake the spring of living water. That's Jeremiah 2.13. Whether we have consciously or unconsciously harbored expectations, we have set ourselves up for failure and usually end up frustrated, angry, and personally discouraged. Okay, one writer said this, dangerous things can happen when we rely on people to meet our needs. We will more, more than likely find ourselves drowning in a sea of disappointment. Over time, that disappointment will spill into our hearts and a bitter root will spring to life and resentment rolls in right after that. Hebrews 12, 15, you might want to write that down, I don't think it's in your outline. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Do you hear that admonition? See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Our job is to be dispensers of grace. Dispensers of grace. In huge fashion. Our expectations get in the way of that, don't they? I like James 4. You might want to write this down too and look at it later. James 4, 1 and 2 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want love, but you want to demand it and wrestle it from the people around you. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. Expectations and grace are a little bit mutually exclusive. It's one or the other. Imagine for a moment the freedom you would feel in those relationships if the pressure for them to meet your needs was released. If we are indeed looking to follow God's word, then this is an area that needs correction. Thank you, Father. It's urgent, too, because our relationships, 
are taking daily blows because of this crushing burden that we wrongly place on others. So do you see in your outline there, there are a number of questions? We do distinguish that desires, wishes, needs, wants, and hopes are all different from expectations. I would love if you would be willing to spend the time later and even in discussion with one another, answering these questions. Who's someone in my life for whom I've had expectations? How has that affected our relationship? Can I name some expectations that I've had? How would it change the relationship if I didn't have those expectations? Uh, I came to marriage um, because I came from a non-Christian household. So I came to marriage with a Christian with a beautiful, what I will call, picture <clears throat> of the way Mike was, should be as the spiritual leader from our home. And he's a pastor, so that picture is awesome. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I literally buried him unintentionally when we were first married because I was like, this is how you're not leading us? This is how you're not leading us? My heart was breaking, but it was my own fault because of the picture that I had, and he wasn't fitting into that picture. We could talk about his, but he's not here. He had quite the picture for me because he came from Beaver Cleaver. Mm. <laughs> this is Dysfunction Junction. <laughs> so even though I became Mrs. Smith, I did not become Mrs. Smith. <laughs> Are you with me? And that was hard, hard on us, because we came from such different places. It was hard on us not to have those expectations. But the more and more we keep, we keep wrestling with that and keep dying to that, the more and more love has a real opportunity to grow. Whereas he used to expect certain behaviors that might fall under a traditional mantle and I enjoy doing, but they're left-handed for me because my family was so broken I did not learn those skills. So while I enjoy doing those things, like I said, they're left-handed for a right-handed person. Now, today, because he has learned that and knows that, whenever I do certain things that are of a more traditional mindset, he loves it. He feels so loved by it. When we first got married, it was like, what is your problem? You know what I mean? We could just get real real about expectations we have one for another. Have I mentioned how honored I feel to be with you all? People willing to take this stuff in? You're my heroes. Thank you. Once again, I pray. Zephaniah 3.17. You sense the pleasure of God over you today. It's hard stuff. I mean, we start with grief last night. We're talking about shame today. It's a real uplifting conference. <laughs> Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And my brothers and sisters, that is not only the capital T, truth of the living word of God, it's also the small t truth about how we interact with one another. All truth sets us free. And that's why we have to talk about expectations. So it is time to apply. Here's your... Uh, blank. The beautiful, amazing, debt-free relationship I have with God because of Christ and to apply it to the people in my life. Mm -mm -mm. Do you need to put some initials down there? Somebody you got to let out of jail? Give them a get out of jail free card? 
And believe me, I know it's easy to talk about and very hard to do. I would never want to minimize how excruciating this is going to be for some of you. You know what I think about the grass being greener? I always say, if the grass is greener over there, uh, you better water your own side of the fence. <laughs> All right, so when we see the person and we see them instead of our expectations and we appreciate the uniqueness that God created that is them, they, that their fingerprints remind us they were created by God that way on purpose, here's the next blank. Gratitude is always, always God's desired posture for us and it's our best response for the unique and beautiful people that he has placed in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of us have ever wondered about what God's will is for our life? Yay! He says it straight up right here. Give thanks in all circumstances. So, so many of us are like, no, I want to know God's will for my life in terms of what job, where I should live, what I should do, how I should make a living, whether I should make a living, whether I should live in Africa, whether I should live, you know, in Muirfield. It doesn't matter. Are you with me? What matters is that as you walk out the life that you are sensing that you want to live and that he wants to live through you, that you are doing what in that life? Giving thanks. And so some of you are like, I mean, can I, can I buy the million-dollar house that I can afford and can I live in that space? Can you joyfully do it, giving thanks to the Father? And some of you are like, uh, can I go to across the globe and sell everything I have to minister to the poor? Yeah, can you joyfully do it, giving thanks to the Father? Come on. This is, this is God's will for you, to give thanks in all circumstances. Super hard, super awesome that it's so instructive. 1 John 4 talks over and over again about how God wants us to see one another and how he wants us to lovingly interact with one another. I'd like you to take a look at that when we scoot. But here is a tool for how to live in gratitude. Holding, I'm going to say it, death closely is an excellent tool of maturity to cultivate gratitude. Holding death closely is an excellent tool of maturity to cultivate gratitude. Now, you understand, that is maturity. That's not morbid, that's mature. Remember what I said about that woman whose perspective completely changed? She almost lost him. So the person that's sitting right next to you that came with you or somebody that you're going to go home to today, you think. Are you with me? Do we treat this person like, if, you, if I lost you today, would that want to be the last thing I said to you or the last way we interacted? Does that make sense? Holding death closely is super smart. Everything gets righted when the fear of death is in the picture, doesn't it? Those of us who are old enough to remember the days after 9-11 very poignantly, what was it like? You remember? What was it like? Oh, my word, people were so kind to one another. I saw people holding doors. I saw people letting people go in traffic. I saw people expressing things and talking. I mean, it was as though our world was suspended from its normal way of operation for about two to three days. There was a level of kindness over everyone because perspective came at us all that day. Right? When death comes close... It writes our perspective. It helps us to see the heart instead of the outward behavior that's so hard to see past sometimes. So if you knew this was the last time you were going to 
God forbid, put somebody in a school bus, right? If you knew this was the last time you were going to say, have a great day at work. If you knew this was the last time you were going to say, oh, I can't wait to see you next week when we get together. If you knew, how would you be different? It's so smart to live that way. It's mature. It's living in the right perspective. Because some of you in this room have lost somebody tragically, boom, very suddenly. And some of you haven't. Let's allow that to be an instructive and wonderful tool of maturity for us. And here's just a Tammy thing about uh, how to continue to be grateful. It's been so helpful for me. Okay, so it's kind of weird, so let's, let's look at it together. Living in gratitude is often a choice to focus on what is instead of what is not. <laughs> so weird when I say it. To focus on what is instead of what is not. What comes to your mind when you hear me say that? Anybody? Live in the moment, good. Imagination? Preach. So good. So good. That is a huge saboteur. And also, a wellspring of expectations come from those pictures. It's enormous. Yeah, she said fantasy, imagination. That is so true. About what should be. Right? Yeah, hon. Yeah, there we go, glass half full. Totally. Perfect. What else? Those two things go together right there. The reason we have such imagination is because evil's looking to always engender fear. You know that's why Jesus, it's recorded in the Gospels more than any other thing, and all throughout the Bible, actually, with God's uh, angelic beings even. What is the number one phrase repeated over and over and over again recorded in the Holy Word of God? Fear not, do not be afraid. Fear not, don't be afraid. Over and over again. Over and over again. Why? Because that is an enormous temptation that evil loves to bait us all with all the time. So two of the most dangerous words are what if, right? Okay, so focus on what is instead of what is not. So if you've got a good friend and they are literally terrible about, we'll just talk about remembering your birthday, remembering to call you back, and yet... Every time you're with them, you love it. You have so much fun. And then all of a sudden, they'll like, they have this really cool way of like inserting like God's truth in the middle of like a really good time. You love that about them. But this thing over here drives you crazy. It drives you crazy. Well, focusing on what is instead of what is not is like focusing on the blessing rather than the burdensome part, the broken part. Right? Focusing on the blessing. The blessing is I get to have this kind of person in my life who brings this kind of joy to me and speaks truth to me. It's so awesome. And this broken part is irritating. I'm going to focus on... What is beautiful? So focusing on what is is what you do have. Are you thankful for the dwelling you do have? Or are you pining away and jealous and comparing yourself all the time for the dwelling that you don't have or the car that you don't have or the possessions that you don't have? Are you thankful for the people in your life that you do have? You know, you're not the easiest one to put up with. And so I'm like, if anybody hangs around me for very long, yeah, I know that's probably coming from some of my woundedness, but I'm so grateful that people still like me. I really am. I focus on what is, not what is not. Like, all the ways in which they've disappointed me. Mike is awesome as a spouse. Literally, on a scale of like 1 to 10, in terms of what spouses should be and do, to be clear. On that scale, he's like, he's like a 8.5 or 9. Isn't that awesome? There are many days that he doesn't do it for me. You tell me what's going on in those days. You tell me, what is it? I'm focusing on the one and a half that he is not rather than the eight and a half that he is. 
totally. It's easy to do that. That's where our eyes go. Especially if God's made some of you, uh, if God's made some of you to be wired more like analysts. Ah, that's your gift mix. It goes towards what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. Your eye just goes towards that. You're, you just go towards problem solving. Oh, ah, you got to work hard to go the other direction. You're focusing on the fact that she is so good to you in so many ways, even though your house is gross. <laughs> the fact that he will listen to you for hours and hours like a soulmate you thought would, but he will never fix anything. The fact that you, you know, are you with me? What are we focused on? Yeah. So smart to live that way. All right, so to see the person, we also have to understand something else. Because we understand that people are simply people. He's a spouse, not a savior. She's a friend, not the faithful one. Right? She's a sister, not the servant of all. We have to make sure we understand people are just people. And they can be wonderful, oh, enormously wonderful dispensers of God's love and truth. But they're still broken, this side of heaven. Because we understand that people are simply people and we live out of Christ's love for us, not others' love for us, but we live out of Christ's love for us. Forgiveness is a non-negotiable in relationships. Ephesians 4.32, would somebody read it? Thank you so much. Just as in Christ God forgave you, just like Jesus forgave you, how did Jesus forgive you? Say it again. No strings attached. Here's what I got out of that. Unconditionally, undeservedly, and it killed him. When you forgive my sister and my brother, please do not fall for the hellish scheme that it's going to look like this. I, I'm a believer, and so I followed Jesus, and so... I'm just forgiving you for that. Like, I'm forgiving them for that in my spirit. I'm just, I forgive you. I don't mean to make a mockery, but there is something about the way that we process that feels like we should do that, that we can do that. Forgiveness killed my Jesus. He had, what's it called, hypohydrosis? That's the wrong word. He bled, right? Blood came from his pores because it was killing him. He was like, do I... Ah, he had the brokenness. He was facing the brokenness of his friends when he was in that place. He was like, guys, can you, oh man, I just asked you to stay here and pray just a little bit. And then it killed him. It took him to the cross. It was so painful. God does not ask you to forgive your abuser with lollipops and roses. God does not ask you to forgive the one who has betrayed you so many times. Because they're worth it. He's not saying forgive because they, they deserve it. He's saying you forgive me because I'm asking you to. It's the only way my life can flow through you. It is my lifeblood. It's what I did, what I do, what I'm doing for you even now. You will die if you don't forgive, if you hold unforgiveness within. You, vessel of the Most High God, vehicle for the Spirit of God, you're going to die, you're going to... <laughs> literally die if you hold on forgiveness inside. You have seen them, and I don't know if any of you work in like hospice or places where you are around folks when they're transferring 
from the physical realm to the spiritual realm, you know what they're like, right? They're either real bad, it gets real ugly, or their spirit emerges and they're free. And that darkness is dark if you've been around, it's hard. So I, on one level, I don't even know how to deliver this message, so Jesus, would you, that he is worth it, he is the one you do it for, and the pain that you will endure, he knows. And some of you have parents that they let you be harmed in ways that I don't even, I can't even get my mind around. I'm so sorry. You still have to forgive her or him. Jesus is asking you, this is the way that, to peace and joy ultimately. Because you got unforgiveness in there, you will never be at peace. It can't coexist with my spirit that wants to live fully in you and through you. You've been wronged. Some of you, a lot. I'm so proud of you for sitting here. But God calls us to a level of forgiveness it's without limits. And he says, it's okay if it's painful. You're doing it for me, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it because you love me and it shows you how much you love me. It shows me how much you love me. So forgiveness is giving up the right to even the score. That's your blank score. And we see in Matthew 5, how he tells us to do that. We see in Mark 11, that he's saying, please, again, we are just over and over. Please forgive because you love me. So I just want to set up a few uh, understandings of forgiveness, what it is and what it's not. For, moving forward in faith to forgive is a decision, folks. It's an act of the will. It's a decision. You're not ever going to feel like forgiving. Do you know that? You're not ever going to feel like forgiving. Uh, so before Mike and I got married, we made a decision to get married on April 27th, 1991. So before we got married, we made that time, we wrote it down, and regardless of how we felt on that particular day, <laughs> we did it. We just went through it because we had made the decision to do that. Not that Mike's best man had to follow him, ran after him towards the car because he thought he was leaving because Mike was having a panic attack. <laughs> We went through with the decision. And then we wear a little something, something to remind us, oh, that's right, I did that. That's right, I did that. Forgiveness, that's a great picture for me of forgiveness. It's like you make a decision, and I pray that today, what is it, May 6th? Is it 6th? May 6th, 2017 is a day when God has gotten a hold of your heart and you gotta finally forgive. In Jesus' name, you can do it. When you finally forgive, you make the decision to do it, you do it. And it's great to have some sort of reminder, that's right, I did that, because your feelings will probably not change much. But I release them back to you, God. You are the judge of all. You are the one who has asked me to deal with punishment and retribution, retribution and resentment, and you say that one day you're going to make everything right. You're the God of justice. You have them. I release them back to you to deal with. You know how bad it hurts. You know what it has cost me. And you're enough for all of that. So it's a decision, an act of the will. Next thing is it's an, put an N there by the A, an ongoing event between you and God. We're forgiving all the time. All the time. It's a continual life of Christ in us. If you haven't forgiven something, excuse me, somebody for something pretty much every day of your life, oh golly. So if you could just think, I got to forgive something for somebody, somebody for something today. That'd be a wise way to live. 
Uh, it's not the same as forgetting or justifying an action. No, 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 no. It doesn't mean also that you have to lose all your boundaries and go back into like life, you know, and, and act like nothing's ever happened. No, 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 no. That's a whole other issue. It's without limits, and it's most likely, limits is your word, it's without limits, and it's most likely going to be painful or difficult. Painful, difficult. Proverbs 19.11, we see it's a glory to overlook an offense. So, seeing the person, he, she is part of the God's body that he designed. My expectations that I place on the people in my life are like law and interfere with our relationship. Excuse me, God wants my primary thought about the people in my life to be gratitude. I am in disobedience to God if I am not regularly, daily forgiving the people in my life. All right, how are we doing? Okay, we got eight minutes. We're going to do this last part in eight minutes. Are you ready? Come on, poke the person next to you and say, you can do it. You can do it. We can do it. God can do it. His word doesn't return void, so I'm so excited to get to continue to express it. So we've talked about when we're seeing through eyes of faith to have our relationships become amazing, we need to see through eyes of faith hope. But we're depicting hope as, yes, the ultimate hope uh, tied to our inheritance anchored in Christ. But also we're using an acrostic today. So what is the acrostic? We're seeing what? person's heart. We are looking beyond. We're uh, appropriating 2 Corinthians 4.18, looking to what is unseen, and we're seeing what? The opposition. We're also now seeing the person, and here's the last E, and it informs everything about what we've talked about. We are seeing eternity. Yes! We're seeing eternity. Sisters and brothers, our true atmosphere is the kingdom of heaven. We belong to the kingdom of light. Remember, we were created for Eden and eternity. Our citizenship is in the kingdom, right? Okay, I totally want you to look at the verse. I know I'm skipping the blanks for just a second. We'll get back to them. So Ephesians 2, 6. Ah, look at this verse. It's mind-blowing to me. It says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Are you tracking with this verse? What, what pops out to you about that? What hits you maybe anew about that? Past tense, excellent. Seated. But you're seated here. Your tuchus is on that chair. But this verse is telling us we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Wait, what? Remember the whole physical, spiritual distinction? You're more of a spirit than you are a physical being. We're in the already not yet aspect of the kingdom of God is here, not fully yet. In that sort of space that's incredibly difficult to put in human language, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, and that, my friends, is our true home. And so there's a certain sense in which as our spirit lives there, that we can breathe, I don't know how to say it, we can breathe, we can take in, we can meditate on the things that are there at the right hand of Jesus, seated with Christ right there at the right hand of the Father. The things that are there, we can sort of take them in, breathe them in. And then what happens as we're walking around down here, this place, that's where they come out. What? Isn't that so exciting? We're already there. We're not yet there. That's that already not yet theology. 
And as you continue to spend time with Jesus, to nurture the kingdom of God, to steep yourself in its values, to look at the character of God over and over and over and over again, what starts to happen is you become what you're around. You know that's true down here. Think about the first time you watched a movie with like some foul words in them. Shocking to your soul. Movie number five, don't even pay attention to it. Have you ever noticed, I love going to the mall and watching how people, or airports, and watching how people that are together dressed like each other cracks me up. It is undeniable, human beings, we become what we're around. So when you continue to nurture the fact you're right next to Jesus in the heavenly realms, that your spirit is there, you continue to take on more of who he is. What the kingdom of heaven, what it's really like, the atmosphere of unconditional love, of absolute joy, of total contentment, of purpose and of power, and of just complete shalom. What starts to happen is you go back to your workplace in that space with those things coming off you, let's go. The kingdom of God starts to come in your workplace through his vehicle of you. <laughs> because you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Apparently, you're not as jazzed about that as I am. <laughs> mm, you guys are awesome. Our true life, sisters and brothers, our true life is to draw our energy, our hopes, our motivation, and our very lives from another realm and to bring our life in that realm to bear on this one. Our attitudes, actions, prayers, power, and purposes can influence earth with the blessings of heaven. We draw our energy, our hopes, our motivation, and our very lives from another realm, and we bring our life in that realm to bear on this one. So here's how I liken it. Uh, I'll just say it this way for sake of time. What's your smell? <laughs> you guys know it's true. I mean, I have this one friend that uh, I have uh, some sensitivity towards certain smells, uh, uh, perfumes types, things, and colognes. And I have this one friend that I know if I hug him, and I will, because he is worth it, and I love him, and I don't get to see him very often. Wonderful person in my life. When I give him a hug, I know I'm going to smell like him for the rest of the day. And I'm going to get a headache. <laughs> I don't care. Because it's so wonderful to just remember my friend, and it's a way of remembering him. You know you have an odor you're getting off, giving off, so to speak. Are people blessed by you, or are they more burdened by you? Do you offer people grace, or do they feel more um, locked down, more uh, less feeling good about themselves, about God and them when they're around you? Do you grace or guilt people? What's it like to be around me? Listen, if you're brave, you'll ask the people that are around you. What's it like to be around me? Again, that's a mature and wise ask. But you give off a vibe. I'd love for you to ask God to show you the, the eyes of how you affect the environment that you're in. And I wish I could talk about it. We don't have time. A primary way you do that is by your mouth. Proverbs tells us that the power of the tongue is life and death, has life and death in it. You're either speaking life or you're speaking death. It's huge. So live from the fullness of kingdom identity. Living from that fullness means we stop trying to grab life. Remember the soul questions. Will you fill me up? Will you make me feel better? Will you make me feel valuable? Instead of doing that, instead we live out of the kingdom identity that we have and we become a conduit. That's right. All you plumbers in here, I use that word. Is that the right word? 
I just got, uh, I just got insecure. Is that the right word? It's a pipe, right? You flow through. Oh, he's electricians. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm going to have to go do a little research, get my trade straight. You guys are awesome. Uh, a way that it flows through, something that flows through, that God's life and his kingdom flows through you. So yes, what vibe do I give off? Your blank was what's my smell, so to speak. And this next uh, blank is conduit. Okay, I just have to give you the blanks because it's time to go, but we stay grounded in hope by regularly interacting with the word of God. That's your next blank. The word of God. Sisters and brothers, it's the only thing that won't return void. And any of you who have heard me speak in the past know that I could right now presently go off on this for about two hours because I'm a person that has fundamentally, my entire way of thinking and my entire way of being as a person has been changed by the interaction with the word of God. He's completely changed me. The word of God will not, will not return void. That's Isaiah 55, 11. Everything else we've done here today will return void, but the word of God will not. It's amazing. Hebrews 4.12 calls it living and active. That means it's transformative. It's, li it's living. It's not just the words on a page. There's some thing that happens as you interact with the word of God, right? So you can look at these that we've got to be able to test and approve what God's will is by letting the word of Christ dwelling us dwelling within us richly, nothing's going to affect you and your relationships more than regular interaction with God's word. Do you see that? Do you believe that? Making small deposits over time yields a reward. I can't tell you how often, the, the blank is deposits. I can't tell you how often I interact with people uh, that it's like, and I actually, the people that I see in my client load now are mostly pastors, missionaries, other counselors, that, uh, that kind of thing. And even those people who are in leadership positions, it's so weird. We just forget that something's better than nothing. Yeah, that's right. You haven't prayed, like, a long prayer today. You haven't bowed your head. But you know what? Like saying, oh, God, thank you. That's better than nothing. Reading one verse is better than not having an entire Bible study that you usually have. Something's better than nothing. See, it's a satanic scheme to get us to be like, see, you screwed up again. You're such a bad Christian. Boom, we're right there. And then something's always better than nothing. The small deposits, they accumulate over time as well. Increased faith, we see in Romans 10, 17, comes only by being under the word of God. Faith is your last blank. So seeing eternity, my deepest longings are grounded in eternity, and because of Christ, I can bring the values of the kingdom of God to my life and relationships. Seeing eternity also know, means that you know you're powerful and influential in others' lives, whether you feel like it or not. Seeing eternity means you also must nurture your true reality as a heavenly influence by staying in the word of God regularly. Okay, so we find ourselves at the glorious end. So to see hope in relationships is to focus on the, thank you, understand he or she is facing hellish, is a unique person designed by God and the promise and reality of eternity. You keep your eyes focused on the eternity, and again, it will permeate your relationships. Okay, this has been astounding, and we're going to continue to uh, ask God to have it go deeply through a little time of prayer and some more uh, different aspects of worship. But wasn't this so awesome that you got this in your booklet? What'd you say? What's up with that? <laughs> it's a rope that the folks uh, lovingly made in this church, and they have prayed over every one of these. So I'm asking that in the form of 1 Samuel 7, 12, I think it is that an Ebenezer, that right now, I want you to be like, Lord, I know why you had me here this weekend. 
I have got to stop living under the power of that lie, Jesus. Every time I see this, I'm just going to rebuke that lie out loud. I'm just going to say that's not true, even if it feels true. No more hell. You're not going to keep telling me that thing. Or maybe for some of you it's like, oh, i I got to forgive. i got to be freed up. Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize that the prisoner was you. I gotta forgive. Or I need to see so and so through different eyes. I need to see their eyes of grace. And I need to find out about how they've been wounded because it's gonna help me understand the battle that they have. I need to realize I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms and stop being so consumed with the things of this world in terms of knowing what's the latest news and then the latest fads and the latest whatever. I gotta remember. My truest self is seated at the right hand of God the Father beside Jesus. Ah, I'm going to live with those values permeating me. I don't know why God had you here, but he had you here. Can you associate it with this Ebenezer? And these are like bookmarks for your Bible. Great to stick in there or other books or whatsoever. So if you uh, have lost yours as a basket right here, if you want to come up and get another one because you want 17 because this was a hard weekend for you, <laughs> i got to hang one here. I gotta have one here. You gotta be running into them in the house. <laughs> because you got to be in the space of, Lord, I want to remember what you have done here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bill, would you come on up and lead us? So Jonathan's gonna lead us in a little more worship, but uh, we like to do some ministry time, so. If you'd like to stand, that'd be great too. A um, couple things I've been praying about, and it's funny because some of the things we're talking about, I didn't know exactly what we'd be talking about, but I feel like it relationship-wise that there are some folks here today that have been really wounded in a relationship in the past, and um, it seems like no matter what you do, you can't move past it. And so it's caused you like almost inability to be in a relationship with anyone. So if that's you, I would just like to invite you to come up front and uh, some of our prayers will come up and pray for you or bless you. Um, also, with married couples or couples maybe who are dating, maybe you've been deceived um, in that relationship. And again, it's something that you want reconciliation for, but you feel like you can't move past that. And you're still, you just hold on to that and it's put a wall between you and your spouse or your partner. So if you would like prayer for that, I would encourage you to come forward. Um, and then just any other, any other reason you feel like that Tammy has spoken over you today, any of the things that she may have surfaced up, I, um, if you would like prayer for any of those, come forward and we would just like to bless you and just pray God's presence over you and healing. So feel free to come forward as Jonathan begins and we'll pray for you.
you're still getting prayer, you continue to. Jonathan, let me play for another minute or two, but I thank you guys. I just pray for you real quick. I just pray too that what you heard here today, that the Lord would root deep within your hearts. And I pray that it would give you a boldness even just to seek him in a new way. I pray that it gives you boldness to um, seek help through avenues of other friends or pastors or co-workers, whoever you trust. I pray that you would begin to relate and, and share. So just I just pray for more of God in each one of you. I pray for healing and relationships, healing in your soul, in your heart, in your mind. I said, just bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Jonathan, you can go on. Don't forget, Tammy has a resource table out in the lobby. Uh, check that out. And uh, I just thank God that you all came, and I pray that you were blessed. Bless you guys. Amen. Thank you, Tammy. Yeah, there's a soul healing group possibly forming in Dublin. Okay. Men and women. If you need an extra bookmark, they're up front. That's why I sing your praise. 